Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good evening, everybody. How y'all doing? Got a great show planned for you. I'm uh, super stoked, actually, about a couple of things we're going to talk about tonight. I've been holding on to this one uh, article and topic. It's some really amazing, outdated dating advice from a women's magazine from the late 50s. <laughs> and uh, interesting to see what uh, was normalized back then and also to see what we still think, what we still think not all that has advanced. It's kind of wild. And then we're going to be talking about why you might be always exhausted, things to do about it. And then we're going to be doing a little couples therapy. That's right. Talking about how to be a better partner, but also how to be good at de escalating things. Interesting stuff um, in the news. I don't really want to get into the story as much as I, I was looking at this and I thought this is a really great conversation starter. So recently we've heard a couple stories about people that were uh, attempting to hook up and were lured to someone else's apartment and uh, essentially were harmed while there. They were murdered. This is uh, I've seen one last week and I saw one the week before. So what I really want to talk about was just safety. I, I hate that we have to talk about it, but we do. Whenever you're going to be going to someone's place, uh, whether it's a first date, whether it's a hookup, whatever it is, you want to make sure that you give someone the location and whatever information you can. And uh, designate a friend. I have a friend that I have do that for me. And when I was out there participating in that way, I did that for to them. And I said, hey, look, I'm not going to say any context, but if I send you a picture and or a location, you'll know why. And I think we should be doing that. You can also do... Um, find a friend. I can't remember what it's called, but it's like a locator where you can share your location with friends. That's also another way to do it. Pick a couple of friends and say, let's share our locations. That's helpful for things like, you know, dating, uh, hookup culture, but also natural disasters. I had a friend who wanted to do that because I live in California where we have earthquakes and people go missing. So have that friend locator on, but then also, um, when hooking up, I would send a friend, whatever photo I was given, but also the address I'm going to and whatever information you have, you don't have to explain, just have that safe friend that you can do that too, especially for uh, people that might also work in the industry. That's something you want to think about. Uh, we got to be safe these days. I also was looking at a hilarious article and uh, this one was about uh, you might be single because maybe you're just not good at flirting. And I thought, you know, we assume that everyone knows how to flirt and or has the confidence to flirt. And I tell every client of mine and every friend I have that wants to be dating, it doesn't matter your gender or gender presentation. Everyone has to be willing to be assertive and flirt. 
at least present as open, head up, smiling, you know, not on your phone while you're moving through the world so people don't have to jump over too many hurdles to maybe try to flirt or get your attention. But at some point I want to do a full segment or show on how to flirt. But from the door, let's just know it's in service of someone feeling complimented and cared for. So you want to both do it with, you know, the consent in mind, but also tracking how it's landing. If anyone shows any signs of discomfort, stop immediately. We don't keep pursuing people. And we have these movies from the 80s where people would try again and try again and show up outside their house. Yeah, we're not doing that anymore. But you have to understand on the receiving end. If people are going to be following this idea that if someone shows any sign of discomfort or not being interested, make sure to show powerful signs of interest if someone flirts with you. We're moving away from the hard to get and the chasing. And so if that's you know normally your thing, you're going to miss out because I'm coaching everyone. The minute you see a sign that's they're not interested or they're uncomfortable, stop. Don't keep pursuing. Don't don't go after someone. We don't we shouldn't have to chase. Interested people like signs of interest. And so there's no such thing as letting someone know you like them or texting or calling too soon if they're interested. They they'll be happy to see that. They'll feel good. We all do. But reciprocate that back, right? But remember that. Um, cuz people ask me it all the time, do I have to be coy? Do I have to be, you know, uh, DL about it or do I have to wait a couple of days before I ask them out again or text them? No. Do it as soon as you want cuz A, we're assessing compatibility. And that's a good way to figure that out. How close do they want to be? But more importantly, if they're interested, interested people like signs of interest, they'll be like, thank you for reaching out ASAP, right? And if not, also really good and important to know. Um, and then finally, I was looking at another story about are you close but not connected in your relationship? And I thought, that's also something interesting to briefly touch on. Um, please don't think that two bodies in close proximity means that you're closer building intimacy. Nope. I, I love the example of I can fly to the East Coast on an airplane sitting next to someone for six hours. No intimacy built, but our bodies are in proximity. Couples often move through their entire relationship that way. It's about eye contact and touch that really, really, really builds that. Shared experience is another one. And that's why people get upset about someone being on their phone. And that's the differentiation between that and maybe watching a television show together. It's a shared experience. You're having it together. You can turn. They're easily accessible. And they're participating in what you're participating in, right? We're being on our phone separately. It is not, there's nothing shared about that. And they're not necessarily available or accessible. You know, we have to think about those things because we have a lot of intimacy buffers, as we call them. You know, we're on our laptop or we're have the dog sleeping between us or, you know, being on our phones. All of those things block intimacy, busy playing video games. So just make sure you're taking time where, again, you're available for touch and eye contact, which is really how we build it, to have conversations. I tell people, come home, turn everything off, sit down and just be like, how was your day? You know, getting back to that old school eating together at the dinner table, a lot of good conversation comes up for that or going for walks couples going for a nighttime walk together it's a really beautiful way to hold hands to connect um and finally shared experience do something together like playing a board game a card game cooking together um maybe doing some housework together or even watching a movie again you're you're accessible you're connecting having the same experience as the other partner but uh, coming up next we're going to be talking about seriously problematically outdated dating advice that we used to give to women so stick around for that um and then some couples therapy you're listening to love line with dr chris on the new channel q and radio.com all right we're back and we're talking about exhaustion this is interesting. Um, <clears throat> last week I was focusing a lot on sleep and I was looking at an article. I was talking about reasons why people are always tired. Um, so, you know, bef- these are very generalized. I think that this is important because exhaustion is something that comes into my office a lot and people will bring it up 
through different entry points and different contexts, but there's a lot of common threads. So I want to just, before I get into the more generalized points, just widen the scope of this topic. We're, we're in a pandemic, right? So inherently there's for many people an underlying level of emotional anxiety or exhaustion. And that's not necessarily anything we can do much about because that's a healthy natural response to what's happening around us. I, I always want to remind people that that some of the things that people think they need to get rid of or fix or cure are healthy natural responses to a real event. Like again, the goal of mental health isn't to be a robot. The goal of mental health isn't to never feel anxiety, depression, anger, fear. That that's not possible. Even when you take an anti-anxiety medication or antidepressant, that doesn't mean you will never feel sad, low, or anxious. The goal of meds and the goal of therapy, again, isn't to make you completely neutralized and a robot. And I had to explain that to a friend of mine who said, I think I need more antidepressant medication. I'm feeling sad today. Well, no, no, no. You're a human being. You're going to feel sad sometimes. Something in fact had just happened that is worthy of sadness. You know what I mean? So we want to be very thoughtful about that. Um, there's a lot of things going on in the world that we should naturally have certain responses to, right? Uh, people are struggling financially right now. Employment, businesses are still closing. People are worried about their health and the health of loved ones. That is a natural, healthy response. Please allow that. Please do not pathologize or shame that. You should feel anxious in anxiety-inducing situations. You should feel sad in sad situations, right? And emotional labor and psychological labor or energy output is going to lead some exhaustion. So if you're constantly being hypervigilant about COVID and the news, yes, that will make you exhausted. If you have a lot of high emotionally draining events occurring around you because you have the kids at home, you're working from home, maybe you're worried about finances, yeah, understandably, there'll be a healthy natural response to that. But we're going to broaden out because some people are dealing with just ongoing exhaustion and fatigue can be a symptom of some diseases. So you want to possibly go see your primary care physician, but there's also some lifestyle factors. One of the first ones is they always talk about uh, refined carbohydrates and sugars. Now, I don't want to trigger anyone's uh, you know, disorder around eating, so I want to be very thoughtful about the way we talk about this, but we will acknowledge that nutrition is an actual thing and that the nutritional value of what we eat can have an impact on our energy levels, and I'll kind of just leave it at that. There's no good foods or bad foods, um, and we want to consider the psychological impact we have on how we're looking at foods, but we do need to know that what we put in our bodies will often impact how we feel in terms of energy levels. Also, if you're not moving much, and that's why even during the pandemic for mental health, we were talking a lot about go for walks, get outdoors, move your body, dance, exercise, whatever form you want, but we need to be moving our bodies because inactivity could be the number one cause of your low energy, flat out. And even though you might be feeling tired and you're thinking, how can I move my body? It's often what you need, but find something, some form of movement that you love. You don't need to be sweating. It doesn't need to be no pain, no gain. We're not going for gain. We're going for pleasure, intuitive movement, dance, roller skate, do yoga, stretch, lift weights, go for a hike, go for a walk, jumping jacks, jump rope. I don't care what it is. Just move your body, find something beautiful, hula hoop. You know what I mean? Um, another one is hydration. This is something that was massive for me. And I will keep talking about this because I'm seeing this come up a lot. I was not drinking enough water, period. I bought a water bottle that had the amounts measured out so I could make sure I was consuming a certain amount every day. That's what I needed. It was pretty life altering. I now make sure I get at least eight glasses a day. I was getting far below that. And that has helped with my energy levels because I tend to have a little bit of a chronic fatigue. I work a lot and I, and I run tired. I really do. And so I often need to take days off 
Um, I also am going to try to build in more vacations so my body can rest because there's no mental health in running yourself ragged or stressing yourself out. When I start to feel overwhelmed or stressed, I know I need to say no to things and push back, turn down projects, take rest. Um, but hydration's massive. We've talked a lot. We talked last week about it, getting enough sleep, but also high quality sleep. So I'll kind of leave that there. Focus on that. Um, make sure you're responding well to the things you are eating, right? And then I also want to talk about eating enough. Again, very thoughtful about people's relationship to food and people that have disordered relationships to their body and food. But we do want to make sure we're consuming enough. Um, there's too much focus on not gaining weight during the COVID. You, you can gain weight. That's okay. Be where you are. I'm not worried about people gaining weight. That, that is not unhealthy inherently. And we want to make sure we're eating enough. We need food for energy. We don't want to be under eating in service of coming out of this with abs. Abs will provide nothing meaningful to your life. You do not need to be having a gym body. Eat food, move your body, sleep, and then whatever your body looks like is what it's meant to look like. We don't want to spend our lives in a constant battle with our bodies trying to force it to look or be a way it's not meant to. There's a genetic baseline and set point, and that's what your body's always working towards. Leave your body alone. Stop the battle. You don't need to look a certain way, right? We're moving away from that. Uh, we talked about sleep because sleep keeps popping up, food, hydration, um, and also be very thoughtful about those energy drinks. That was also historically my go-to. I would feel low energy. For me, it was a lot about my sleep quality and hydration levels. And instead, I would just drink more coffee, which causes a crash and doesn't really deal with the core or root issue. So really zero in on that. That was massive for me. And then finally, stress levels. And that's global. Any levels of stress literal in front of us, psychological or emotional, that is going to deplete some of our energy. So you do have to assess that. But that's why I always say every day, self-care, some joy, pleasure, and rest every single day. Build it in. Decide the night before what it'll look like. Decide when you wake up. Check in on it midday. But that's what's going to help push back on all these things. And some of that self-care might be drinking water, taking a nap, right? Or, you know, the ways to decrease your stress is finding some joy and pleasure, putting on a TV show and zoning out for a couple hours. You know, things like that are really powerful and meaningful. So um, really handle that. All right, y'all. Coming up next, we're going to talk about some humorous, outdated ways that women were told to find a man. I love stuff like this. It shows us how far we've come, but also how far we haven't come. This is an article. I think it, it was from the uh, late 50s. God bless it. So stick around for that. And then we're going to be doing some DMs. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back. And uh, I wanted to read this to y'all. I was laughing <laughs> the other day. I saw this. These things kind of crack me out. So we're going to talk about some of the outdated ways that women used to be told how they needed to go about finding a mate, how women were told to find a man. Um, and this was basically from, uh, what was this? This, this came out of a, a magazine from 1958. Okay. Now, just to kind of play some of this in time, remember it wasn't until get bumping into the seventies that women could do things in some places like open a bank account in their own name. You know what I mean? Like, uh, we have to, we have to just remember how old school some of these ideals were. patriarchy runs strong right? And um, sexism and misogyny still exists, right? But look at some of these things. So basically, this was from a magazine, this was an article, and they were sharing 129 tips for a woman to find a man. Um, now, now, remember, the funniest part about all this is you're going to notice that none of this is rooted in authenticity or compatibility. 
which speaks to, again, how we historically saw the purpose of marriage, and we still hear it today, where some people are just desperate to be in a relationship. They just want to get married. They're not necessarily looking for you know compatibility, chemistry, love. It's just a goal they have. And we see a lot of people that are already in very loving, committed relationships that are so hung up on just getting married. They already have everything they want, but for some reason they have to just check that box because we raise individuals, especially women, to believe that that is the ultimate goal. We flood them with dolls and, 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 and get bridal gowns, right? Movies. We really, really train people to socialize and internalize that if you don't get married, you don't have a complete full life or relationship. It's quite disheartening, but as you're going to see in some of these, some of these are funny, some of these are still hold up, and other ones are just completely divorced from reality. Uh, so again, we're talking about a magazine article from basically it was a 1958 McCall's article, 129 ways to get a husband. First one I'm not mad at, get a dog and walk it. I jokingly said that to a friend a couple months ago. Um, here in the area I live, that's where a lot of people, well, especially during pandemic, are socializing and meeting people. The dog park, walking your dog. I think there's something cute about that. Make sure you actually want a pet, but I, I, I don't knock that one so much. Um, here's another one, ready for this? Have your car break down at strategic places. Could you imagine that you are so desperate to get married? And again, I'm not putting the, the onus completely on women, <clears throat> also on culture, that you are instructed to have your car break down in places where you might best encounter a man. I mean, really sit with that. Like the idea that our life should be centered around family and children. And it's disheartening because a lot of women don't want children. Some people don't want marriage, right? And what if we just instead say, center your life and purpose and meaning, and that can come in a multitude of different ways. Maybe you adopt, maybe you foster a child, maybe you don't have children at all, right? Maybe you're always in a non-monogamous relationship. Maybe you don't get married. I, who knows? But it's fascinating, the pressure on this. Here's another one, ready? Attend night school, but wait for it. Take classes though that men like. <laughs> Could you imagine telling another female friend or your daughter to go do that. Join a hiking club again, holds up. I actually do recommend that. So here's like, these are like good tidbits for people. There's the meetup website, which has every city, different meetups, and there's a lot of single events. And I think that that's phenomenal. It takes the pressure off because there's others around you. You know that everyone there is single. You're engaged in an activity. So it's not this like forced intimacy that a coffee date or any other kind of date can create, right? So I love that idea. I love meetups. I think the hiking club is awesome. That's a good idea. Wait for this one. <laughs> Look in the census reports for places with the most single men. Nevada happens to have 125 males for every 100 females. Could you imagine doing that? I'm going to relocate based on the census report to find a man. Here's another good one. Read the obituaries to find eligible widowers. God bless it. It's like these people don't have anything else to do with their time but search for a man. I'm just do a few more because these are cracking me up. Um, <laughs> I don't mind this one. Sit on a park bench and feed the pigeons. <laughs> oh, bless. Take a bicycle trip through Europe. I think that's really beautiful. Uh, become a nurse or an airline stewardess. They have very high marriage rates, apparently, it says. <laughs> Oh, bless. Um, let's see. Let's see. Volunteer for jury duty. Who knew? Who knew the jury duty is a hotbed for single men looking for love? Who knew? Um, tell your friends that you're interested in getting married. Don't keep it a secret. I like this one as well. Get lost at football games. Yes, go to a football game. Get lost. Wander around. Need the help of a man to help you figure out how to get to, I don't know, the door, your seat. Um, 
I like this one as well. Don't take a job in a company that is run largely by women. I know. Imagine that. Literally dictate your entire career and education around the possibility of finding a man. That's smart. Um, on a plane, train, or bus, don't sit next to a woman. You better sit next to a man. And then we'll close out on this one because this is another great singer. Um, <clears throat> go to all the reunions of your high school or college class, but wait for it. There may be widowers there. Widowers there. God bless it. Jumping in, jumping right in. Anywho, get on the apps if you want. <laughs> Focus on purpose and meaning in your life and let you naturally bump into someone who has maybe some compatibility because you're living the life that you want to live. And that means you'll meet people that live in a similar way around similar interests and topic points. You know what I mean? Like that's the best way to do that. All right, DMs. Uh, got a DM for us? Drop it on our Loveline IG page. We'll be answering those later in the show. Stick around. We'll be back. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back. And now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. This one says, hey, Dr. Chris, my name is Emma. I've been having a lot of thoughts lately about going back out into the world and dating, but mostly having sex again. I know it's so, it's so wild that it's even something that at this current time we have to have a consideration around, you know, because it's like a, it's like a barrier, a threshold you're crossing into, uh, based on pandemic and COVID. Right. Um, and also just having retreated. It's something that a lot of people are talking about in my clinical practices, having retreated away from the world. What is it like to reemerge and, uh, dating calls upon our, you know, less boundaried parts. Like, think about that for a second. If a friend wants to meet for coffee, there's still space and distance. There's like a bound, uh, a boundary there. But um, dating is usually about leaning in, right? Maybe touching, holding hands, uh, things going even further than that. So it's an interesting threshold that people haven't crossed over in a long period of time. And so there's meaning in that. Um, so I understand the uh, energy behind that. But you continue to ask, I'm not sure I'll, oh, here we go. I'm not sure I'll ever feel comfortable, but I also don't want to seem silly and ask people if they've had their shots or not. I'm just not sure how to safely get back out into the dating world as things start opening up and people are vaccinated. So this, this becomes a larger conversation of the difficulty in talking to people about um, health. Let's just call it health. Because prior, it was more sexual health. And now it's health in a broader term. Because like you said, we're talking about COVID and vaccinations. And even just how high risk they might be based on their lifestyle. But... And I say this very lovingly, um, this is a, kind of a little bit of a harsh way to put it, but if we're not mature enough or if we don't have the confidence to ask certain questions, then we're not ready to be dating because then we're setting ourselves up for a lot of negative outcomes and problems. And so part of dating readiness and work on it now, right? Because you're not, you're not necessarily out there yet, but work on the confidence and practice, having conversations, asking people about their health practices. So yes, dating is saying, hey, when's the last time you were tested? Um, and asking people, because again, I want people that are positive for an STD or STI to disclose before they, they bring someone into contact with it. But we are all responsible for our own sexual health. And so we have to ask, we cannot assume that people are just going to disclose for a multitude of reasons. Some people don't think they have to, others don't feel safe. It's highly stigmatized, whatever the case. So we always have to ask so we can get informed so we can then decide if we're going to consent to engaging someone, right? So much like sexual health, we have to say, when's the last time you were tested, right? Are there, are you positive for any STDs or STIs that I might come in contact with? We also have to ask about COVID. Um, have you been vaccinated or 
what kind of precautions do you take to protect yourself? Um, are you high risk? Are you around people that don't wear masks? Do you not wear a mask? Yes, we have to ask those questions. And that's also part of why I like online dating because it's easier for a lot of people to ask those things over text, texting on the app or texting on their phone. It's a lot harder to do it face to face, although that needs to be something we're familiar with because sometimes that is when it's brought up because maybe we're about to be sexual or intimate with them on whatever level. And where with sexual health, it, it, it's more delayed with COVID health, just being around them sets you up for some risk. And so we have to ask it even sooner, but that's the languaging. You know, again, we're not trying to shame or pathologize. We're just trying to get clarification so we can make decisions because we can't consent to something if we're not informed on what we're really coming in contact with and what we're consenting around. That's why we say informed consent. I have to know what we're talking about fully. And so the question is, When's the last time you were tested for STDs and SDIs, right? And what were the results? Um, <clears throat> and then also the COVID question. What kind of precautions do you take or have you taken in those around you? Have you been vaccinated? Because you're asking, do you wear a mask? Do people you live with wear a mask? I'm telling you, it's going to be with us for a while. <laughs> Just because things are opening up doesn't mean that all's resolved. Remember that. We talked about that. Governors getting rid of the mask ordinances and letting things be full capacity is not a sign that all's well, Right. So ask those questions. Um, but if you got a DM for us, you can always uh, drop them in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. That's where they come from. Whatever question you got, put it in there. Also coming up next, we're going to talk about, um, we're going to be doing some couples therapy for the rest of the show, coming back to that topic. But specifically, we're going to get into uh, how to de-escalate. Because that is, uh, escalation is one of the number one issues within couples. And that's actually for all relationships. All topics apply to everyone. But we're going to be looking out through the entry point of romance because, when our partner's pumping the gas emotionally, we got to be the one that's hitting the brake. It's how we uh, keep things from getting out of control. So we'll come back and talk about that. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. All right, we're back and uh, we're doing a little couples therapy. Oh, conflict. Dun, dun, dun. That's a lot of what comes in my office when we're doing marital couples therapy is conflict resolution. It's a big, big, big scope of an issue. Now, the kind of thing I want to talk about, though, is how to deal with and de-escalate something that becomes heated. Because what often happens is we turn a heated, escalating situation or topic into larger, further ongoing damage. And we want to be very cautious. Um, I'm going to frame it first. Sometimes one partner is higher conflict or escalates more easily. If you're going to be in a relationship with someone, it doesn't matter who's, who's right or who's wrong. We have to frame things initially from the idea that this is someone I care about and I love. And again, the caveat as always is I'm only talking about relationships that are rooted in love and are safe and that you trust them. And if not, this is not a conversation for you. You need to work on getting out of that relationship or creating those things. This is for loving relationships. It's not about fair is fair. And I've said that before, healthy relationships aren't about equality. They're about mutuality, which means everyone has the same amount of power. Everyone's needs matter. And that will mean sometimes someone's prioritized over the other, and that's okay. And that's my point in this. If your partner has more trouble regulating themselves, then you absolutely might be the one in that context where you have to regulate better. And there'll be other things that maybe they do for you. And so if your partner is pumping the brake, I'm sorry, if your partner's hitting the gas, you have to be willing to pump the brake. We have to know what our relationship and our partners need, right? We want them to learn about themselves, but we're starting from the perspective of us looking at our partner. And if we're the one who is higher 
higher uh, conflict, more escalated, more dysregulated, we're going to hope or maybe ask, hey, I'd say to your partner, because again, this is within a loving, safe, trusting relationship, you seem to regulate better. So it'd be really helpful if you could help me by co-regulating. Because remember, when one person starts hitting the, the gas, the other has to be willing to hit the brake. Because... And someone will say in my office sometimes, why do I have to do that? Why is it always me? It's like, because you're the higher functioning person maybe. And to be in this relationship, that's what's required. And if you don't want to do that, that's fair, but this isn't going to work for you then. Because again, it's not about fairness and equality. It's about what does this relationship need? And the higher functioning person being willing to step in and do that. And sometimes one person's always the break and that is their role in that relationship. And you don't have to do that. You, you can be in a high conflict ongoing relationship. You can leave, but that's what, might it, that's what it might mean or take, right? Um, because we don't want to just do ongoing damage. So how do we how do we do this? Well, the first thing is you have to regulate your own emotions. When someone's dysregulated, we then step away from what is the content or the topic we're discussing, and we have to say, hey, this this process is getting dysregulated. So we need to regulate emotions. So hear that again. Sometimes people think the goal is to just get through the topic itself, the content. And it's all about who's right or wrong or whatever it is, solving something. And when things are getting heated or high conflict or dysregulated, it then needs to actually be about, we need to calm down before we finish the conversation or worry about the topic or the solution, right? And so we have to regulate ourselves first. And that means, again, if you're seeing your partner dysregulated, you need to present in a calm manner. Take a moment and breathe. Don't get caught up or infected with that. I know that's difficult. That's what I do often as a therapist. I have to be the regulator in the session with couples or an individual. I can't meet them where they're at or match what they're doing or we're gonna spin out. If I start hitting the gas when they're hitting it, all bets are off, right? And so I have to be the more regulated one. And so you have to be willing to regulate your emotions. The second one, right, is we have to get away from right or wrong and first start with just letting the person feel heard. We're going to get to that other thing, but first you just want the person to feel heard. It's not about acknowledge. It's not about right or wrong. It's not about judging. Just be present to what's being said because sometimes that's what escalates and moves us away from the content. What they're trying to express is this idea that you're not correct. Don't go there yet. We jump too quickly into that. We're not trying to fix or solve anything. You're trying to just stay present. It's very difficult. If we have two people that are unable to regulate, and are unwilling to do the work to learn how to regulate, you'll never have a healthy relationship. It's gonna be high conflict and that becomes exhausting and that can also sometimes escalate and become dangerous. It's most compatible is to find someone who's more regulated than you, <laughs> you know? Try to find someone higher functioning and for you to work on your level of functioning. I mean, I don't let the lower functioning dysregulated person off the hook and put their regulatory needs on their partner, but I want the partner to be a part of that. But I do say to the person, you have to raise up to a higher level of functioning. We have to get better. We have to be more aware of your high risk topics and situations. We have to be aware of your triggers. You have to work, learn regulatory skills because in a relationship, our mental health impacts mental health of our partner, right? And so we're both responsible for doing the work. It can never just be, you knew how I was, you knew who I was, or this is just what it's gonna be. That's not okay. So again, you stay regulated, you stay present, you show them through your, your continued calmness. It brings them down, right? And then once we're calm again, we can re-enter that conversation. But remember, the content has to stop once we start losing ourselves. And you have to keep modeling it. You have to stay in the moment. You have to slow down your breath. You have to stay calm. You have to keep your tone calm and loving. It's very, very, very difficult, but that's the work we have to do. And that's also the work you have to do as a parent because children are inherently unable to regulate and they learn from a parent helping them co-regulate. 
So the parent always has to be better than the child. It hurts my heart when I see the parent losing themselves when the child's losing themselves. That's when a child needs you to be a caregiver. That is your primary role as a caregiver, to show them, to model it so they can learn. Tough stuff. All right, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back and we're continuing to do some couples therapy. So we're going to take a little bit of a relationship IQ test. So, um, you know, if you're sitting somewhere safe, please do not do this while you're driving. Feel free to uh, get out a pad and pen. But uh, we're basically going to talk about some common situations and what are the ways that really advanced, evolved couples handle them. So this is kind of us painting the vision. (laughs) what we're working towards. Because oftentimes in the moment, we don't really know what we're, we're supposed to do. And not everyone has access to couples therapy. And I, and I have to acknowledge that more that therapy is a privilege. Not everyone has the time or the money, right? Therapy takes time. You got to drive there, you do it weekly, and you have to have the finances. Uh, healthcare is not accessible to everyone and not all insurance companies cover therapy. Or when they do, it's not the fee that the therapy char- uh, therapist charges, or they only offer maybe like 12 sessions, which is a joke. That's something we've been socializing or strengthening or whatever it is for decades, years, is somehow going to be resolved in 12 sessions, not even. It takes multiple sessions just to form a true assessment and relationship with the client and the therapist. So insurance companies are a hot mess, but that's why we're here. That's why Loveline's here, always giving you the free couples therapy. So uh, take some notes. So uh, basically, we're going to talk about the emotionally intelligent couples and what they do in some common situations. So da-da-da-da, situation number one. You're in an argument with your spouse. What's the best thing to do? You're fighting with your spouse. Is it to just give in to keep the peace? And no, that helps resolve nothing. That doesn't help us learn how to be a better couple. Is it to try harder to convince them that you're right? (laughs) No, because as we've talked about, it's not about being right or wrong. I want it to be more about the quality of the relationship. Is it safe? Are we being intimate? Are we curious? Are we taking time to learn about each other? When you've gotten to a point in your relationship, any relationship, again, as always, even if we're talking about something that's romantically relational driven, this applies to parents and children. This applies to friends. It's not about being right. You have to get away from that. You have to first prioritize in this discussion of our differing opinions, how are we helping to maintain or ruin our relationship? That has to matter. The answer is you listen carefully to what they're saying and you try to understand what they're saying. That's the first goal. Whether you disagree in the end or not, you're first just trying to be present and listen and understand them. And most people don't do that. They go right to you're wrong or they go right to a defensiveness because they feel attacked or whatever it might be. And you first want to just understand. And that's the word I use all the time is curiosity. Be curious. Just listen. Be present. Don't battle right or wrong. Don't just shut down. Don't don't just... You know what I mean? That's what you have to do. And what we're definitely also not doing is bringing up past instances. Couples love to sometimes say, well, you used to, we're back in the, no, we're always being present centered. We're staying in the moment. Okay. So I hope you all got that right. Another common situation, your partner snaps at you over something small. They're frustrated. Maybe they're having a rough day. They lose themselves. You know, we're not trying to be therapy robots. We're not going to get everything perfect all the time. So what do you do? Do you snap back to show them what it feels like? No, you don't ever fight far with fire. You don't meet them where they're at on that level, right? We've talked about this in the earlier segment. When someone's feeling dysregulated, 
or losing themselves, that's when you got to step in. I always say lovingly, we always need an adult in the room at all times. If your partner's sliding into a more primitive elementary style of functioning, you got to be the more evolved adult in the room. So we don't snap back and attack. Do you take the high road and explain to them why they're acting childish? No, <laughs> because we're not trying to label. We're not trying to diagnose and we're not trying to judge. And that's another go-to that some couples have where they're always throwing around labels and diagnoses. Basically what that's called is name calling. We don't name call. We don't bully. And that's one of the things that people do. And that starts to, again, make it unsafe to share, right? Do we just turn around and walk away? No. What do we do? We give them the benefit of the doubt and we listen for a minute. We calm down, right? We sometimes have to contextualize. Are they having a rough day? What might be going on? Not saying it's okay that they snapped at you, right? But we're not going to necessarily make an issue of everything, pick a fight around everything, right? We have to learn how to let some things go, especially I was saying that during the pandemic. <clears throat> when in doubt, just let it go a little bit. Turn the expectations down a little bit. We're trying to do our best. We're not trying to do perfect. We're never actually trying to do perfect. We're always just trying to do our best. But this is especially one of those dynamics where we need to be a little more kind and calm and let people off the hook. People are really, 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 really struggling. And again, abusive behavior is never okay. And as you're noticing, I'm not talking about anything verbally or physically abusive because in those situations, the relationship gets put on pause or ends immediately. That's completely unacceptable, completely unsafe. Unsafe. We're talking about someone losing themselves temporarily, someone snapping, they're frustrated, they've had a stressful day. You know what I mean? We're, we're rolling with those factors, but not necessarily everything else. All right, <clears throat> next situation. Because again, we're doing couples therapy right now. So we're, we're problem solving. If you have a pen and paper, you're taking notes. Um, when you have done something that you're not proud of, okay, you've let yourself down. And that's always a starting point. Before we go to have we let our partner or the relationship down, we've let ourselves down. And we want to start there. Self-esteem is quite a thing. It's always with us. We can't let our, we, our self-esteem will not let us off the hook. We will always be aware of what we did. And that's why a lot of the, the time it's about, what about your integrity? You have to live from your integrity. You, if you're not acting from your integrity, you cannot move through the world feeling good about yourself. And so even if your partner will never know or never find out, if you're doing something that you're not okay with, you are not going to feel okay. And that has to matter. Your mental health matters, right? We're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, we're gonna keep doing couples therapy. We're talking about how to solve some common situations. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back. We're doing a little couples therapy. We're talking about some common situations and ways to problem solve. And before the break, I was talking about the fact that, <clears throat> excuse me, um, you, you, you have to care about your relationship to yourself. And that's about how you see yourself moving through the world. We have this thing called an observing ego. It's always watching us. And our self-esteem is aware of how we're moving through the world and what we're doing. So even if your partner or whoever else, your friend, your family member, your boss isn't aware of whatever you're doing, you know. And that does matter for your mental health. Trust me. You can't make okay something that isn't. And so you need to be aware of that. So the topic we're unpacking right now is, what do you do when you've done something you're not proud of? Do you put it out of your mind and, and just try to forget it and move on? Well, sometimes it really depends on what it is, but that's not always the best answer. Um, do you tell your friends because they won't judge you? Yeah, I want us to have the ability to share with our friends what we're struggling with and we want to be around friends that are healthy enough to not judge, but will hold us accountable. Healthy friends hold us accountable and don't co-sign our bad behavior. See it all the time, that's horrible. Good, healthy friends will be like, hey, let's talk about that. I know that that's hard sometimes. Maybe I've done that or we've all done that. But I also know that we can do better. Like I want people to hold the people around them better. 
and not co-sign their bad behavior. That's never, that's never a good sign of a healthy social group, you know, um, whether we're talking about other people poorly or again, how we're impacting others. Um, but also know that I want people to create relationships where they can go to their partner and say, Hey, listen, I need to talk to you. I've let myself down and I might've let you down. This is hard to share and it might be hard to hear, but blah, blah, blah. That's how we know we're really building intimacy is when we're, we're dropping down into those parts that make us anxious. That's the true definition of intimacy, sharing things that make us anxious and maybe we'll make our partner anxious in service of being better known. And I want people to only be in safe relationships where they can do that. And if you're in a relationship where you can't ever share with your partner how you've let them or yourself down, you, I, I'm worried because that means it's probably a little abusive or toxically monogamous or a little too dysregulated. You wanna be in a relationship with someone where you can share those things and they can say, hey, thank you for telling me. That was really hard to hear, but thank you for telling me. And that's how trust is built, by sharing those anxiety-inducing things. I build that powerfully into my current relationship where I make sure I share things to let them know that like, I'll bring you into my life. I'm pretty transparent. I always say we're allowed to have boundaries, we're allowed to have privacy, but I also value emotional transparency and I try to lean more into that. Like, hey, you might not be happy to hear this, but blah, blah, blah. Or it's completely personal. You know, just building intimacy by sharing something I thought or something I did that only impacts me that I'm not okay with. Like that's another healthy part of a relationship. Next topic. Um, what do you do when your feelings are hurt by something your partner said or did? This is a really good one. Um, do you blame them for upsetting you? Do you just complain to your friends? Because I always say to people, usually what you're saying to your friends or your therapist, at some point you really need to go back and tell the actual person. Because I'm a big fan of one-to-one -one relationships. We don't triangulate. We don't go to other people. We can if we need to first process it and maybe problem solve. But at some point, issues are only dealt with when we go directly to the person. And if you can, go see them directly. Hey, I need to talk with you. My feelings were hurt by something that was said. And I'm a big fan of circling back. You can always circle back. Hey, you know, I was thinking about something you said days ago, a week ago, even months ago, and it's still kind of on my mind. Can we talk about it? You go share with someone that your feelings are hurt. That's an important part of a healthy relationship. If again, you're in a relationship where you can't share that, you're not in a healthy relationship. You want to build the kind where that can be discussed and talked about. And neither one of you buckles under the pressure of that kind of intimacy building. It's not confrontation. It's intimacy building. Confrontation is aggressive. Is aggressive. It doesn't keep things safe. Um, confrontation is telling it like it is. That's not healthy. That's toxic. Intimacy is when you calmly and lovingly say, listen, I need to talk about what I did. Or listen, we need to talk about what you did. Or I need to let you know how my feelings, what my feelings are around something. That's important. And if you can't do that, start to ask yourself why that is. Is that you or is that them, right? Because again, when we've done something that is not what we want or we feel best about in a relationship, we have to be able to unpack it. If not with your primary partner, well then who? Our friends, yes. But our primary partner, that, that is part of what we should be able to do, right? It, 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 I, I feel bad and it makes me nervous for in terms of mental health for couples that can't ever talk about anything. Everything feels like an attack. Everything makes someone defensive. People can't take any kind of requests, right? Because we make requests, not criticism. We make those. And, and if you can't tolerate that in your relationship, you got some work to do. Maybe it's the way you've presented in the past. Because again, we're always trying to use those soft startups. Hey, can I talk to you about something? We don't come in swinging. But we, we, we can build that from the door. We get to decide what kind of relationship we're going to have. And often that's decided on the front end, right? We work our way in that way. Um, I had to make sure to do that in my current relationship. I wanted to build something very intimate, very transparent, um, and something that was very f treated very fragile and very protected. We don't raise our voices to each other. We don't name call. 
we don't blame, we're very loving. And I made sure to help be a part of creating that from the door. And that's meaningful because I historically, well, not historically, but I had been in a more emotionally and verbally abusive relationship at one point. And it was surprising for me to find myself within that. And after that, I realized I don't, I don't ever want to be treated or spoken to that way, but I have a role in what I allow, what I normalize. I have a, I have a role in the temperature that I keep within that relationship. You know, I historically in that relationship was pumping the gas sometimes when they were hitting it. And I realized I have to be more of a break. And I've been able to build that and find that. And remember, relationships are malleable and plastic and changeable. So we can always change what we're inputting in, thereby what our partner's responding to. So if we change our behavior, we do change the system. But if we can't, maybe it's time to leave or time to get into couples therapy because we don't want to just stick it out. Relationships take work, but not a lot of work. And I think people hang in there far longer than they should. I, a lot of people say the opposite, but I don't agree. I think a lot of relationships have some toxic monogamy going on. Everything's seen as a threat. They're completely dysregulated. There's not enough compatibility. And they just really think that the, like what relationships take in terms of work, woof, they're, no, it's not supposed to be that much work. It takes work, but not that much. That's a sign you're just not compatible and you're signing up for low levels of happiness and safety. You know, got to think about that. We're going to take a break, but sit with everything we're talking about. First, start with yourself before we really assess our partners. You know, we're holding everyone accountable, but what we input into that system does determine how they respond because they're showing up and reacting to what we're putting in. So we have a lot of control in that. We'll be closing the show though with some DMs. If you've got a DM for us, drop it in our Loveline IG page. And of course, if you want to check out past episodes of Loveline, you can do so by going to wearechannelq.com. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back now. It's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. All right, this one asks, hey, Dr. Chris, my brother has had extreme anxiety for almost all of our lives. We used to be so close when we were younger. Now we barely talk. I don't even know how to start a relationship with him again, but I want to. Do you have any ideas for how I can restart conversations and now make it less awkward? Yeah, I love this question. I think that's really great. Extreme anxiety. You know, mental health, we, we downplay it. Even though some people have some empathy and say, ah, oh, extreme anxiety, that must be really hard. Often people aren't willing to afford them the accommodations they need because of their mental health stuff. They'll say, yeah, he has extreme anxiety. And then they'll still say, yeah, it's my birthday dinner Friday night. I expect you to be there. Ah, my wedding is in a week. I expect you to be there. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Where's your accommodation around their mental health? Maybe that's too anxiety inducing. They have social anxiety. They have agoraphobia, generalized anxiety. I don't know. So I just want to make this quickly a broader answer first, which is we have to, uh, uh, let me start this way, actually. Just like I'm always saying, we have to end uh, homophobia by not assuming everyone's straight, by assuming all things as possible. And so based on someone's gender presentation, if they present as a male or identify as a male, we don't automatically say, if asking about their status relationally, which is a little obnoxious anyway, we don't say, oh, do you have a girlfriend? That That's, that's heterocentricity, that's homophobia. It's the idea that gay, that no one's gay, or they're only gay if they tell me, or they have to come out of the closet to me. It's reinforcing. And so the honest thing would be, do you have a partner? Are you dating an in? Or do you have a boyfriend or girlfriend? I purposefully say both to start to remind people that both is possible. So it's an act of activism. And also it's a way for me to communicate to that person. I'm safe. I understand that some people are gay and that I, you can tell me. 
<clears throat> and that's how I dismantle the closet. I don't, I don't acknowledge the closet. I don't reinforce the closet. I don't support the closet, right? I don't create one that people have to come out of by saying, do you have a girlfriend? I say, do you have a girlfriend or boyfriend? Well, mental health is the same way. You cannot assume that you can have the same expectation on everyone. And that really throws a lot of people off because we really do want things standardized. You cannot standardize things. Inherently, having a standard procedure for anything is to deny mental health needs, period. People have disabilities and neurodiversities. Some people, can't, you cannot have the same expectations on everyone. I'm saying that to teachers. I'm saying that to parents. I'm saying that to bosses. I'm saying that to friends. You can't expect everyone to make it to the same place at the same time. Some people, yeah, you need to afford them time to run late, but that's not fair to the others. That's right. Psychology means people have different needs, so do differing abilities. Not everyone is going to be able to get to the same place at the same time because maybe there's no wheelchair ramp and they, they're a wheelchair user. Maybe they don't have handicapped parking that's actually close and it's going to take them longer to walk and they didn't account for that. Maybe someone has anxiety and severe depression and it's really hard for them to get up out of bed and showered and so they arrive late we have to understand that so just like with someone's generalized anxiety they might not make it to your birthday party or your wedding and they might not know until the day of and so we have to start to acknowledge that for those that are able to attend for those that have the ability to get there here's what time and where we'll be you know what i mean we have to be looser so that's the general message i throw out there now specific to you by, by slowly building a relationship back. That's my answer to the question of, we used to be close, we're not now, how do I rebuild? Slowly. Don't swoop in as though nothing's changed. <laughs> you know what I mean? You slowly reconnect. Knowing you wanna be closer, you start checking in on them more frequently. Hey, on my mind thinking about you, that might be too slow, or maybe that's the right pace. And then eventually you say, hey, can we hop on this phone this weekend? Is there a day that's better for you? I'd love to talk with you. Giving them time to have preparation to be prepared to carve it out and then slowly maybe start keeping up more you start sending photos of what you're up to maybe make a plan to see them but it's a slow build people usually want it fast quick and easy and things like this aren't reconnecting we have to re-earn their trust we have to re-familiarize them with our presence we have to get them comfortable and confident that we're safe or that you know we're not someone who's going to overwhelm them so it's a slow build so slowly reconnect that's how you reconnect, slowly. Build your way back up to the place that makes sense while also knowing you might not get the vision you have of how you wanna be or how you had been again. It's gonna be different. It might never be as close. You might have to get comfortable with it being always a little distant, but a little better, you know? Because we don't know. So hold space for that. All right, y'all, that is our show. We'll be back tomorrow. and We're gonna be talking about why love is good for you and helps you live longer. And also we're gonna be talking about uh, childhood abuse, some unacknowledged forms. Uh, and that's gonna be for us to better learn about ourselves and those around us and also for parents. So stick around for that. If you got a DM, drop it in the DMs on our Loveland IG page. We'll answer that for you. As always, thanks for hanging out y'all and you enjoy the rest of your night.